Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What a wonderful thought that we've been singing about when he comes at last. We don't always look forward to that day, we confess, Heavenly Father. But we do want to look forward to it tonight. And we do indeed pray that you'd help us and hold us until that day and help us to know what we should be doing to speed that day and until that day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, you might like to turn back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, page 1052, the reading that Ali read for us as we continue looking through this section of Luke's Gospel Sunday uh, by Sunday evening. I uh, guess uh, many of you, or maybe not all of you, but most of you have been keeping an eye on the events uh, over the pond, as they say. Speaking at a US election rally in North Carolina this week, President Barack Obama urged Democrats of all ethnic backgrounds to get out and vote for Hillary Clinton, warning that the fate of the US Republic and the world is at stake. Now look, I have to say, as I've followed the election on the news, I can't believe how the United States of America have gotten themselves into such of a situation that they are in. It is deeply troubling for the citizens of the US and for the rest of the world that an office of such influence and power will in a few months' time be held by a character, whoever wins, it will be held by a character who appears to be woefully lacking in good judgment and moral fibre. And so as Barack Obama warns that the world is at stake, while that statement might demonstrate that Americans think far too highly of themselves and their position and importance in the world, still I know that many, many real Christians in the US are deeply concerned, as are many people all around the world. But look, even as we look and live in a world of uncertainty, a world that appears to be very fragile and is clearly deeply flawed, Still, as Christians, even though these events are worrying and troubling, they shouldn't leave us believing that the world is at stake. We follow a God who is sovereignly ruling over this world. He, the God Almighty, is in control of the cosmos. 
the US election result will not leave the world at stake, but the whole fiasco should make us long for the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, just looking at the mess that we're in, not just over the pond, but everywhere we look, Aleppo, Mosul, it should make us desperately want for Jesus' perfect rule to be fully and finally seen in this world. Now, that's what Jesus said to his disciples in the Bible passage that we looked at last week. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 17 and verse 22. Page 1051, Luke 17, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. There'll come a time, says Jesus, when my disciples will long for my return. Longing for me to wrap up history and bringing a new era of justice and, and righteousness and perfect peace. We feel that acutely as we live in a world of turmoil and war and suffering and injustice. We feel it personally. I felt it this week as I met up with a man who has been told that he doesn't have much time to live. Sitting with him and his dear wife made me long for a world where there is no more suffering. The sadnesses in this world leave me longing for Jesus' return. Does it not you as well? Perhaps we feel it most acutely, or I want to say we should feel that longing for Jesus' return most most acutely when Christians are marginalised and ostracised. Now that's happening all over the world, it always has. But the marginalisation and discrimination of Christians is gathering a pace here in Britain. Now listen, that is not just a hypersensitive pastor with a persecution complex speaking. Uh, Two comments in the last two weeks from people who who are not Christians demonstrate how Christians are being marginalised in this nation. First, at Prime Minister's Question Time on Wednesday, I quite like listening to Prime Minister's Question Time on Wednesdays, Um, the uh, the staff team joined me for what we call Preacher's Lunch. They come at 12.30 and at 12 o'clock I sort of get my lunch ready and put on Prime Minister's Question Time. And uh, on Wednesday, Charles Walker, the Conservative MP for Broxbourne, asked a brilliant question. Now, Charles Walker does not claim to be a Christian. He's clearly a man of deep personal conviction, but he's not a Christian. And yet on Wednesday in the House of Commons, he asked the Prime Minister this question. Quote, When people make fun of Christianity in this country, it rightly turns the other cheek. When a young gymnast, Lewis Smith, makes fun of another religion widely practised in this country, he's hounded on Twitter and by the media and suspended by his association. For goodness sake, this man received death threats and we have all looked the other way. My question to the Prime Minister is this, what is going on in this country because I no longer understand the rules? The Prime Minister, Theresa May, responded by speaking about the balance between tolerance and freedom of speech. But the point is this, people who aren't Christians, Charles Walker MP, recognises that Christians are ridiculed openly in this country and no one does anything about it. Now that is not news to you, you feel it at school and um, at university and at work when you're out with your friends. Somebody said that very thing to me this week. We are ridiculed. But second, this is the second comment that has brought this all home to me in the last couple of weeks, more than being ridiculed, uh, we are 
beginning to be ostracised in the courts. So the week before last, an appeal court in Belfast upheld a legal ruling against a Christian bakery called Ashes, saying that they were guilty of discrimination for refusing to bake a pro-gay marriage-themed cake. And listen to this. This is the crucial thing. Listen to the gay rights campaigner, Peter Tatchell, as he criticised the decision of the appeal court. This is brilliant. He said, quote... Although I strongly disagree with Asher's opposition to marriage, in equi- to marriage equality, in a free society, neither they nor anyone else should be compelled to facilitate a political idea that they oppose. He goes on, Asher's did not discriminate against the customer, Gareth Lee, because he was gay. They objected to the message he wanted on the cake, support gay marriage. He said, discrimination against LGBT people is wrong and is rightfully unlawful, but in a free society, people should be able to discriminate against ideas they disagree with. I am saddened that the court did not reach the same conclusion. That is a brilliant response from Peter Tatchell. Peter Tatchell, a staunch supporter of gay rights, helpfully demonstrates that these Christian bakers have been discriminated against. Now look, this is the big point. When those who don't align themselves with you, an MP and a supporter of gay rights, when those who even oppose you and your thinking begin to say that you are being discriminated against, then you know it's really happening. And my big point is this, as Christians experience that more and more, And it has already begun, but as it becomes worse, as we experience more and more opposition, it will surely bring us to the point where Luke chapter 17, verse 22, we long for the coming of the Son of Man. We long for that day when Jesus will return to put all wrongs right, to usher in a new creation of peace and righteousness and just rule forever. Last week, uh, Jason Clark helpfully took us through this last section of Luke 17. He showed us how that day that Jesus speaks of will come. He said it will come suddenly, verses 31 to 33, decisively, verses 34 and 35, and finally, verse 37. And you can listen to Jason's sermon online if you want to hear more. But then, having spoken about this certain return of Jesus, Jesus then tells this parable about praying and not giving up praying in chapter 18 and verse 1. Jesus told the parable to show them that they should pray and always pray and not give up. Now that is the point of the parable that we are going to read in a moment in verses 2 to 5. Verse 1 is very helpful. We don't have to work out what the parable is about. Luke tells us the point. Disciples of Jesus should be people who pray and keep on praying. But, you see, the reason I've spent all this time getting to this point is that it's not just about praying in general. Although that is true about general prayer, we should be people who pray and keep on praying. Do you see in the context this parable is teaching us to pray and always pray and not to give up praying about the coming of God's kingdom? Because we long for justice, because we long for him to return, to put all the wrongs right in this world. That's what we should be praying for and always praying for and keep on praying for and not give up. 
That's the primary thing that we ought to be bringing out of this parable. That's why he went on to teach this parable. We should pray for that and not give up. When we fear the result of the US election. Uh, When we see Christians ridiculed and discriminated against in the courts in this nation, when we come face to face with death, as I did this week, it should drive us to pray and to keep praying for Jesus' return. What else can we do when we see those things happening? Oh, incidentally, that is one of the great things about difficulties and struggles in the Christian life. You know, so often we think every difficulty is a bad thing. Well, I'm not saying it's good to have struggles. I'm not saying bring it on. I'm just saying when they come, we tend to start to pray because there's nothing else we can do. When I'm in a fix, in a situation I can't resolve, when I'm faced with something bigger than me and far beyond me, I pray. It happened to me personally this week. Faced with something I cannot resolve. Something quite fearful, I found myself praying more, praying more fervently, praying more sincerely, praying for longer, really praying from the heart. Now, that's why Jesus speaks of prayer here, because he's just been speaking of the day when Jesus will return, when the Son of Man will return, because life is going to be so difficult. At a time when we feel alienated in this world, a time when we feel as if we're on the margins just because we're Christian, those times will surely bring us to prayer and ask us, indeed prompt us to pray for Jesus' return and quick. But here's the thing, when I've been praying for Jesus' return because I want to see ultimate justice in this world and yet things don't seem to get any better, And when I've been praying for that for a while and still he doesn't come back, I will be very tempted to give up. And that happened with you in in every aspect of your prayer life. You pray and pray and nothing happens so you stop praying. That's why Jesus told this parable. Verse 1, he told the parable to his disciples to teach them they should pray and not give up praying. Now let me stop here just for a moment before we look at the parable. You see, even before we go on and look at the parable, there is a challenge for us here, and it is this, very obviously, do we ever pray for Jesus' return? Do we ever feel so desperate about how grubby and broken this world is that we let our heartfelt cry to the Son of Man to come back, please? Is the longing of our hearts ever, your kingdom come? That's how we should be praying. See, before we do look at the parable, just turn back with me to chapter 11 of uh, Luke's Gospel. uh, Page 1042. See, uh, look at verse 1 of Luke 11. The disciples saw Jesus praying and they asked him, teach us to pray. It's a great question. How are, we, how are we really meant to pray? Teach us about prayer, Jesus. And verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We've prayed it already in this service. We call it the Lord's Prayer today. But it's not so much a prayer to be repeated verbatim. That's not the point at all. It's more a sort of template for prayer, a structure to tell us what we should be praying about. We should be praying for God's name to be hallowed, for the honour and glory of the Father in heaven. That should be our highest desire in prayer. That's why it comes first. 
should be what drives all our praying. And his name will be honoured as his kingdom comes, as his rule is established in the lives of individuals who turn to him in genuine repentance and faith. And ultimately, God's glory, God's name will be hallowed when Jesus returns and ushers in his new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what we should be praying for. Jesus teaches us to pray, pray, your kingdom come. My hunch is that is not the subject of most of our prayers, if we pray at all. My guess is that most of us are not desperate to see the coming of God's kingdom. My guess is if you're anything like me, I'm far too focused on the here and now. Certainly when I hear people pray, the honour of God is not high on the agenda. And so do you see as we turn to chapter 18 and verse 1, there's a challenge here. Even before we look at the parable, are we praying at all for the coming of God's kingdom? Is that ever something we pray about? It's odd, isn't it, when we think about how we're taught to pray. We never pray that way. So you see, as you watch the news as we await the US election result this week with a deep concern for what it will mean for us in our lives and, and of course, for the millions of uh, those who live in the US, as we experience Christians being marginalised and ostracised in this nation, as we encounter death, do those things spur us on to long for Jesus' return and so to pray, your kingdom come? Well, we turn back to Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. Jesus told his disciples to... Pray, and he told them this parable to teach them to pray and to keep on praying for Christ's return. So how does this parable encourage me to pray and keep on praying? Verse 2, he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. There's the judge. Tim introduced us to him right at the beginning of our meeting. But as we'll see in a moment, this judge doesn't care much about justice. That's a strange thing, isn't it? A judge who isn't interested in justice. That would be like a vicar who doesn't care about God. Uh, and uh, he's not interested in justice because he's completely bound up with himself. He doesn't fear God. He takes no interest in God's laws or God's ways, and he doesn't care about other people either. Do you see that there in verse 2? He's a thoroughly selfish and self-absorbed man. And then there's a widow, verse 3. A widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. A a widow is, of course, in complete contrast to a judge. A judge has status and power and influence. A widow in those days had no status. She would have been utterly powerless and she had no way of influencing anyone. This particular widow is in contrast to this particular judge in that she was very concerned for justice. You see it there at the end of verse 3. She kept coming to the judge and pleading, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time her pleading got her nowhere as... um, The judge, verse 4, simply refused to listen to her. But she wouldn't give up, she wouldn't let go. She was like a dog with a bone. You can imagine her sending him emails day after day. And when he didn't reply to them, she started calling his chambers. And when the judge's PA wouldn't put her through to him, she went to great lengths to discover his mobile number and began calling him and texting him day after day, several times a day. And when that didn't work, and when he got his mobile number changed, she waited for him outside the courtroom as he left work, as he walked to his car. She begged him to take notice of her situation. And when that didn't work, she started to follow him home, ring his doorbell, bang on his door, pleading with him to bring her justice. And so finally, verse 4, the judge said to himself... 
Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. So she got justice by never giving up. And remember verse one, Jesus told this to show his disciples, you and me, that we should pray and not give up praying. But here's the surprise for me. Look at verse six. Isn't verse six a surprise? The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Here's the surprise. I'd have thought verse six would read, so follow the example of the widow and keep praying and don't give up. That's the point of the parable. That's verse one. But verse six doesn't tell us to be like the widow, but rather to listen what the unjust judge says, to listen to verses four and five. In verse 6, Jesus tells us to hear what the unjust judge says and to see what he did, that he did give justice because the woman kept on pleading. And so Jesus says, verse 7, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? And here's the first point, which is extraordinarily worrying when we're this far through. It's okay, two very brief points at this point. But here's the first point if you're taking notes Keep praying because God is just. See, that's the first thing he says. That's why verse six is a surprise. You expect him to say, keep praying because the widow kept praying and she got her way in the end. But he doesn't say that. He says, keep praying because of what the judge says, the unjust judge says. See, in this parable, Jesus is not comparing God with the unjust judge, but contrasting him. And Jesus says, if the unjust judge will give justice to a widow who doesn't give up pleading, then you can be sure that God who is just, God who is our heavenly father, God who does care about his chosen ones, you can be sure he will bring justice to those who cry out to him day and night. The point that Jesus is making is about the character of God. And that is so crucial Because depending what we think about God, what we think about his character, affects whether we pray and whether we keep on praying or not. One of the main reasons we're tempted to give up praying is because we think God isn't interested in us or isn't hearing us and therefore won't answer our prayers. Or because we think God isn't good or isn't a just God and so we think, what's the point of praying? God doesn't care anyway. And that's why Jesus says in verse 6, listen to what the unjust judge says. Because if an unjust judge eventually brings justice, you can be absolutely sure that a just judge, the God we know, the one who cares about his chosen ones, will answer your prayers when you keep praying. It's all about the character of God. What is your view of the character of God? Do you think he's mean? Do you think of him as father, first of all, above everything? If you do, and that, of course, is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Remember, Luke chapter 11, verse 2. When you pray, pray our father. If you think about him as father, you will come to him very differently. Unless, of course, you have a warped view of father. Let me do this from an everyday perspective, an everyday relationship, and I think you'll get it. Imagine growing up with a dad who is mean and never gives you anything. Sadly, for some of you, this will be all too real. I hope it's not the case for my children. 
Whenever you asked your dad, he said no. When you were seven or eight, you asked your dad to play with you and every time you asked him, he said, no, I haven't got time. And when you got older and asked him to help you with your homework, every time he said, no, I'm too tired. And when you grew up and needed a loan to help you buy your first car, you didn't even bother ask your dad, you see, because you knew he'd say no, because all the way through your life he'd said no, because right through your childhood he never gave you anything. He always said no, because you got to learn that he was basically a mean and selfish man who knows nothing of grace and love. But you have a friend. As she was growing up, when she asked her father to play with her, he usually stopped what he was doing, or at least he finished whatever he was doing as quickly as he could in order to pray with her. And when she got older and asked her to, uh, asked him to help her with her homework, even if he was busy and even if it was really late at night, he'd help her out when he could. And so when she wanted to buy her first car, she happily went to him to ask for some money. And he talked to her about financing. And he didn't just give her the money on a plate, but he, just in case my children are uh, thinking, but he, <laughs> he, he, he worked out how they could buy the car. And she talked about it. And eventually he did give them some money that they needed. <laughs> the point is she didn't hesitate to ask her dad because right through her life she discovered that her dad was kind and generous. You see, you'll ask somebody for something if you think they're good and if you think they love you. It is exactly the same with God. If you think God is unjust and mean and not interested in you or the things that cause you such pain and distress, then eventually, when your prayers are not answered, you'll give up asking. But if you know what our God is really like, then in contrast to the unjust judge, our God is concerned for justice And he does care for you. That he is your heavenly father. Then you will keep asking. Because whatever the reason that he hasn't seemed to answer yet. It's not because he's not interested. You'll know that asking God in prayer is not a worthless exercise. And so Jesus says in verse 6. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? See the first point, keep praying because God is just. Keep praying for his kingdom to come. Don't give up. He will answer your prayer. That is a prayer you can be sure he will answer. And as we close, secondly, keep praying because that is a mark of genuine Christian discipleship. See, this is the second surprise, how this all ends in verse 8. But before we look at verse 8, look at verse 7 and see how God's chosen ones are described as those who, do you see it there, verse 7? Who cry out to him day and night. That is a mark of genuine Christian faith. Prayer is the best demonstration of faith, of trust in God. So yes, be like the persistent widow. Oh yeah, that is the point of the parable as well. Cry out to God day and night, praying when you get up in the morning, praying when you go to bed at night, praying for God's kingdom to come and for justice and for the ultimate justice that comes at Christ's return. You see, that is actually the challenge that Jesus lays down at the end of this section. It's not just an encouragement to keep praying, there is a challenge here. Look at verse 8. 
Jesus says, I tell you, God will see that you get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Isn't that a surprising way to end? There's the challenge. You see, there isn't actually any question that Jesus will return, but when he comes back, will he find Christians who, full of faith, fully trusting God, have prayed and kept praying for Jesus to return? When we see the state of the world and we, we pray and we don't at first see any answer to our prayers, we're tempted to give up praying because we think that God doesn't care. But Jesus turns it around here at the end here and says, no, no, you've got it all wrong. You can be sure God is bothered because he's a good God. He's a God of justice. He's a just judge. The question is, are you bothered enough? Are you bothered enough about justice and about the ultimate justice that will come when Jesus Christ returns? Are you bothered enough to keep on praying? When the Son of Man comes, verse 8, will he find faith on earth? Will he find people who are praying and who've kept praying to the end? Because prayer is the greatest expression of faith and trust in God. And prayer is the greatest demonstration of genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, let's face it, when we really want something that really matters, we don't give up. Here we are, just seven weeks away from Christmas. 49 days to Christmas Day. Thanks, Tim, for reminding us of that. And in the next seven weeks, boys and girls, the length and breadth of this country will keep telling their parents what they want for Christmas. They will drop, drop hints and write lists and leave them on the fridge. And they will write to Father Christmas saying what they want this Christmas time. And they will post links to their parents so that they know exactly what they want. No, my children don't do that, it's okay. And they won't give up until Christmas Day arrives and they finally open their presents and they've got what they want. Or not. And we're the same as adults, not about Christmas presents, but about things we really want. We pursue our hopes and dreams and don't give up. So why won't we do that with the kingdom of God? And if we don't do that with the kingdom of God, it suggests we don't really care for the kingdom of God and for justice. So when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will we have kept going back to him and begging him to return and keep doing it even though we haven't seen the answer to that prayer yet? The hardships and difficulties we face in this world are a terrific test to see if we're really bothered about God's kingdom. And when they come, we should pray and keep on praying. And that is why, verse 1, Jesus told this parable. And so this parable should have an impact on our lives tomorrow morning. As we feel deeply concerned for the state of the world, worried about the US election, hearing the words of Barack Obama that the result could leave, leave, uh, uh, could leave the fate of the world at stake. And when we find ourselves as Christians being more and more marginalised in society, ridiculed by those around, seeing Christians discriminated in the courts of this land... And when we see death and pain all around us, this parable should encourage us to pray, to pray for justice and to pray for the ultimate justice that comes when Jesus Christ returns. 
And then as the weeks go on, maybe even Friday comes and we've prayed for that for four days and we haven't seen anything happen, we should remember that God is not like the unjust judge and that will spur us to keep on praying your kingdom come because he's a good God who loves us and who is just. And we should be just like the widow who prayed and prayed and worried and bothered that unjust judge. Praying and not giving up for the return of the Son of Man. So that when God answers our prayer and Jesus does return, he will find faith on earth in us. Let's pray together. And so, our Father, we pray your kingdom come. Forgive us, Lord, for not praying for your kingdom to come very often, for not being that deeply concerned for justice and for your glory. Forgive us that we're more interested in our own little concerns and the worries of this life. Forgive us for giving up praying so easily, often because in our minds we've questioned your character, doubting that you are a good God and just and righteous and our Father who wants the best for us and for your people in this world. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be persistent in prayer, both generally persisting in prayer, but specifically persisting in praying for your kingdom to come. For people of all sorts to come to your kingdom. For your kingdom to come supremely in your Son, the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, to return to make all things new. We long for that day when all wrongs will be put right, that day of justice. The day of a complete new beginning in the new heavens and the new earth. That day when there will be no more crying or pain or suffering or death. And so we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen.